<clears throat> so as long as it works now, then we'd be all right. It's, uh... How's it looking? Well, it says we're live now up in the corner, so. Good to go then? Yeah, I would say go for it. I'm just uh... Hello. I'll try that again. <laughs> all right, there we go. Let's get off that good start. So yeah, I should probably cough now and get that out of the way too. So. <clears throat> Hello again, everybody, and welcome to an NLBMR webcast brought to you by Ball Caps and Bagpipes. I'm one half of Ball Caps and Bagpipes, John McKellar. And I'm the other half of Ball Caps and Bagpipes, Jason Durr. And we have an exciting guest we've had on before, and we brought Tad back. Tad, how you doing? Good, good. I'm like the uh, the Andy Richter. <laughs> I was in the same with the three, three amigos now, you know, where it's Andy Richter works, and you know, but uh, three amigos. <laughs> or the or the Joe Pesci to a Rims and Motto. Jobs. Good to be back. It's great to have you back, Tad. And we have uh, once again on the show Chris Brown. Uh, he's very generously agreed to come back on and finish what we started there a few a few weeks back. Uh, we had some technical problems there. We weren't able to finish the video live. We kept talking for, I think, an hour after the video had stopped. And it was a really great conversation. So we're going to try our best to recreate as much of that as we can. Chris, how are you doing, first off? I know that you picked up a bit of an injury uh, at the end of 2020. Uh, you've been uh, rehabbing and it's been a long road back. How are you doing just now, physically? I'm doing doing pretty good, considering. But uh, it's, it's a small recovery every day. But I, I can tell that it's getting a little bit better. Um, I went from using a, uh, sc knee scooter to using crutches last week to, uh, kind of a cane today. So, um, yeah, it's, I spend half the day getting it loose and then I enjoy about an hour and then it, <laughs> and then it gets sore. So then I'm kind of, but I think I'm a couple weeks away from walking at least. So looking forward to that. So for anyone who's tuning in who doesn't know already, you, you suffered a very severe leg break. Um, I want to come back to something that we covered the first time you were on back in October, um, and that's the fact that you were a minor league pitcher in the Chicago Cubs system for several years. Um, given that you were a pro athlete and you you know it's a long slog this season, it stands to reason you would have suffered some injuries. Um, how does this compare to the injuries that you would have suffered when you were playing, and did you ever have an injury that left you out for quite as long as this because obviously that would now be what two months, two, yeah, two it's been months, two months. Um, this this would have been devastating during a baseball season um for any baseball player but um it, it's my right leg so I, I wouldn't have been able to push off so throwing would have been you know out of the question but um so I never had anything that I had some breaks during baseball seasons but well, so I broke my back in the fall, so in college, so it didn't really affect my season because I rehabbed, my dog just ran. Um, I rehabbed and rehabbed and rehabbed and got back. I didn't have surgery and then I was ready to go. And so I did that and then ended up having surgery, what, 12 years later. And then, um, so the only injury I really had during the season was um, a broken jaw. And so since I don't, throw with my face <laughs> I, I pitched the next I pitched the next week so it wasn't it wasn't too bad I mean it obviously it hurt and it ruined my diet but uh, it certainly didn't keep me from going out there and, and, and pitching so I mean you say you broke your jaw would that have been was that from uh was, did you get hit by a lane drive yeah um yeah I was actually pitching in San Antonio against uh UT San Antonio and um they kind of, it's kind of cool. They clocked it. They clocked my pitch and then they clocked the ball off the bat. And so it came in, I pitched at 93 and it came back 103. And so <laughs> needless to say, I didn't, I didn't catch it. I didn't see it. Um, mm -hmm. It hit me, hit me right here, which is actually from what I'm told from the doctors is the weaker part of the jaw, but oddly enough, uh, it broke right down the middle. And so I don't know if it was just the compression, but it broke down the middle and um, Jesus Christ. You know, and so my mouth instantly <laughs> started filling up with blood. And um, I was mad because the ball actually made it over the shortstop it, after it hit me. You know, I didn't even get, we didn't even get the out. That's, you know, so now this guy gets to hit me in the face and he's safe at first. So, um, 
yeah, I, I actually tried to stay in the game and the coaches wouldn't allow it. So, uh, which was probably a, a good move. <laughs> did you, did you also, did you suffer a concussion? I can only imagine. I didn't, you well, no, I don't, I don't think I did. Um, if, you know, that's, you think back to that and I was probably pretty lucky. It wasn't a couple inches higher. Mm. Um, could have gotten a hit in the eye, uh, which could have been really devastating or even higher in the head. And, um, we've seen the kind of, the, the kind of injuries that have happened in the big leagues. And even, even that year in college, uh, that was the last year they used what they called minus five bats. Mm. Um, and so, you know, like any, any one of us right now, I'm telling you, could grab a minus five bat, no matter how long it's been, we could grab a minus five bat and go out and hit a home run in batting practice. I mean, those things were like lightning rods. Um, so the next year they, they outlawed those bats and they went to minus threes and then eventually they went to composite. So they don't even have those anymore. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> there were so many injuries that year. They, they, it made them wake up. I think there was five of the guys in division one baseball that year, they got hit in the face or the head, um, which one is too many, but five seems like a lot, but mm -hmm. you know, that's not even counting the other body parts pitchers got hit in. That was just the ones that got hit in the head. So. Right. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that you, you got back on the mound just uh, a week later. Did you feel any lasting effects? Uh, obviously with a broken jaw and being hit at that speed, I can only imagine that it would have some kind of knock-on effect with your performance or you know how you were feeling. Well, it's probably a psychological effect. <laughs> but um, uh, so luckily I didn't see the ball coming at me, but to prepare for that, I literally went out the next day and stood at the end of the batting cage on the other side of the cage while the guys were hitting. So balls were just, you know, constantly flying at me, mm. um, just kind of getting getting over that as quickly as possible, because I had every intention of getting back out there as soon as possible. Um, yeah, they they wanted to put in they wanted to wire my jaw shut, but the doctors, because I I kind of freaked out and I grabbed when it happened, I grabbed my jaw and I, I kind of pulled because I couldn't. You know, your mouth fills up with blood. You, you freak out. You do things that you wouldn't normally do. And so. Um, I put my hand in my mouth and I couldn't get it in there because everything was smashed. Mm -hmm. And so um, I just freaked and grabbed and pulled. Any other moron would do. And, <laughs> and uh, luckily for me, it, it kind of lined things back up um, and, and over the next week started to heal. So the doctor said I could wire it shut if I wanted to, or I could, um, you know, I could just let it heal. And so obviously I didn't want my face you know, sliced up. So I just like, well, it'll heal. So went out to pitch the next week. Um, I was glad they let me pitch, but I went out to pitch the next week and I just kind of, you know, kept my mouth shut and kind of sucked my lips in. So I felt like nothing was, <laughs> nothing was moving around, but um, it went well. I mean, I threw a two hit shutout just to, I guess I was afraid to let them hit the ball, but <laughs> <laughs> whatever motivates you i went out and pitched a good game so um and then and then just kind of moved on from there and people i think people at least for the rest of the season tend to forget about it so but that it's kind of cool I'll, I'll run into some people that you know from the college and stuff administrators and even 20 years later and they <laughs> they like to bring up stuff like that so <laughs> Uh, I remember when you ripped your jaw oh, after getting hit in the yeah. face. Remember when you broke your face? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Um, <laughs> would you say that that's the type of picture that you wear, the pissed off motivator rather than calm? You know, a lot of guys you'll watch and they have the ice blood in their veins is the old cliche, you know, where sometimes it's the opposite. You find that a lot with closers where they're just kind of pissed off dudes who just want to throw hard and get people out and they're kind of just in that focused zone. Would you say that you were that? That type of pitcher? I, I was definitely that kind of pitcher. I, I was the guy that I would find a reason to get ticked off before ever setting foot on the mound. And it didn't take much, you know, <laughs> it could, it could be anything, you know, I'm, I'm watching the other team warm up. And if somebody's screwing around, I, I would literally, I instantly take that as an insult to me. You know, I'm like, how are you going to screw around when you're facing me, you know, kind of thing. And so I, I, I you know, you just use it, but it was always something. And sometimes it was my teammates, you know, on the way to the bus, you know, or on the way to the field, like, 
you know, quit, quit screwing around. You know, you, you, I, I'd like some runs today kind of thing. You know, and I, by the time I hit the field, man, I, I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I guess they say I had the red ass. So I, I was pretty hot. So <laughs> we certainly use it to your advantage as I was doing my research today. I noticed a stat that I pointed out to you earlier before we came on the air. Uh, 110 strikeouts in the 1997 season, which at the time was your school's record. And who's this young man right here? This is Maddox. Apparently, Mama forgot I was on a podcast. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Hello Maddox. Maddox. Hello from Scotland. These guys are all over the world. Isn't that cool? Those guys are all over the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, now so, and now so are you, Maddox. Now you are too. <laughs> yeah. We've been in Colorado. <laughs> There's snow there. This is a memorable trip for him because uh -huh. Daddy broke his leg. So, so Maddox, do you play baseball? Yeah, yep. I do. What position do you play? <laughs> he didn't have one yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're just working on his his little season hasn't started yet, so we work on throwing and fielding and and hitting and those kind of things, but. Oh, those are his his drawings. He showed oh, up. His wow, that's great. I think Dad might have to try and get that put up in the Hall of Fame. He's taken over, isn't he? He's taking over alongside exactly. some of the portraits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he uh, works a lot. When when I'm in here working, he's he's usually in here. So, are you gonna that's go back great. now? Uh, okay, you gotta be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. Okay, go on. You were talking about the season. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So don't worry, Max. My my daughter crashed one of my interviews too and sat through a good 20 minutes of it. I think it was our first interview, Taz. It was you and Travis. And she sat and crashed into that one. So you're not the first one to do it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how, how loud he gets. Hopefully it's not loud. <laughs> Just to pick up on that, Chris, um, how important is that father-son bond over your other passion, which of course is sports art? Um, is that something that you take seriously and do on purpose, or is it just a kind of byproduct of your daily life? Um, well, I mean, Maddox came along pretty late in, in our lives. Um, I'm, I'm a little older, so, <laughs> so that I don't know how much different that makes it. But, um, you know, when I was when I was young, growing up, especially his age, my dad wasn't around a whole lot. Uh, he was an oil field guy, so he'd, he'd be gone before I'd get up you know, and then I'd be in bed before he'd come home. So, um, actually <laughs> got in trouble. Mommy's here. <laughs> um, so, you know, he wasn't around. And so that, that always bothered me growing up, you know, not having him around and, and, uh, and, and really kind of hurt our relationship, to be honest with you. Um, you know, so, that that's that but so when I, I was actually coaching when Maddox was born and um he started getting to about three and you know started getting into stuff and and doing things and and I it was it was getting to be where I was gone a little too much and so I literally stopped coaching you know I got I got out of coaching because of that so now I'm able to I literally you know I come straight home and that's the first thing I do is spend time with my family so it's it's, it's really important, um, you know, because, you know, you know, for me, at least I want to be able to look back and know I was a good dad, not a, mm -hmm. not a good coach. You know, if I if I have to choose between the two, that's that's the one I'm going to choose. Um, and I, I hope that's the case with most people um, and maybe other guys can find more balance. For me, it was um, I wasn't all in because my head was on my family and my head was at home and. You know, I always told myself, I coached for 17 years. I told myself if I ever got to where I was standing on the field thinking about being somewhere else, it was time to get out. Um, and that's that's obviously what, what the case was. And so, you know, I, I did. I got out. So surprised a lot of people. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, you got you to gotta do what's best for you and your family. And so that's what I did. That's a great answer, Chris. <laughs> so automatically, um, with now that you're coaching, now that Maddox is playing baseball, the first person to ask the coach is you, right? Well, they right, yeah, and I'm trying to avoid it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I want him to enjoy it, um, so uh, 
yeah, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm going to have to, I, eventually I'll want to. Um, I think right now it's send them out there and let them have fun, you know, um, try not to take it too serious. Just, just try to have fun. So he'll want to go back. And then when he gets to a little older where maybe it is starting to get a little more serious and he wants to really learn, you know, the right way to do things, then, you know, of course, the hardest thing is going to be for me to just shut up and, you know, not pull him aside and say, Hey, this is, <laughs> this is what you need to do. But, um, yeah. So, you know, obviously I, I get to be around, you know, some pretty prominent athletes at times. And the thing I took from Peyton Manning a couple summers ago was he said, he said, uh, cause somebody asked him, was, was he, was he the kind of guy that would force his kids to go out and practice? And he said, no, he said, I took it from my dad. You know, his dad was Archie who played for the saints. Um, he said, I never once told my kids that they had to practice, but if they ever came to me and asked, I was always going to be there no matter what I was never, I would never say no. And so I'm going to try to adopt that, you know, to where I'm not forcing him to do something. But if he certainly, if he comes to ask, then I want to be the guy that's, that's going to be there for him all the time. So that's interesting. You say that. So I, I grew up with a, a prominent Seattle uh, supersonic uh, player. And I played with his son. He was a year younger with me. And we used to go to uh, the, the local club to play basketball, everyone like that. And uh, his dad pushed him to, he was crying on the court and didn't want to be there. Yeah. And, down there. and I, again, I took that whole mantra is like, he does not want to be there. And he did well in college, but he didn't get that push to become pro. And we, we chatted about that. And he said, well, my dad pushes me. This is that. I said, are you enjoying it? He's like, no, not at all. Yeah. And, you know, he's just like, I happen to be uh, somebody that can play basketball, but I get zero enjoyment out of it. And then we said, it took him a long time before he could actually really kind of enjoy playing again. So, yeah, that's uh, one of the yeah, the, yeah. Being, you know, I, I got to go pretty far myself. Um, and I, I'll tell you this, uh, it stops being it stops being fun when it becomes a job, you know, there's still fun aspects to it. Obviously um, playing the game is still fun, but when your job's on the line, when, you know, you know, as a pitcher, you know, a couple of real bad outings and you, you could literally just be out the door, you know, that just that added stress, I guess, sometimes, you know, the fun, I guess, kind of, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like <laughs> it's still fun competing. There's, it's still fun. You know, it's still something that you're passionate about and you enjoy doing, but it's not like, I guess, like playing in junior high and high school where, you know, you're literally just, I mean, you're learning how to play the game still and, and you're, you're with your buddies. It's, it's just kind of a different aspect, I guess you'd say. Right, Seth, so now that we have gotten the unexpected guest out of the way, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jason has managed to save the day with that uh, question there. Let's get back on track. Uh, <laughs> what, I was, uh, what I was bringing up, I think, before. Special guest. Here, Come on. We had a special guest on. It was unexpected. It was a special guest. An, an unexpected special guest. Yes, there we go. <laughs> he was a, he's a, very much a VIP guest. Um, so, yeah, 1997, 110 strikeouts as a Northwestern yeah. State University demon. Uh, at the time, the school record, I haven't been able to find any info on whether that's been matched or beaten. Is that, does that still stand, do you know? I believe it does, yeah. What does that mean yeah. to you at the time? Because obviously you've gone to a pretty, well, it's a pretty well-known school. Um, yeah, it's you know, been... Some talents have come from there. Yeah, and it's been 20, I think over 20 years. So um, obviously I'm not a math teacher, but uh, I think it's been <laughs> over 20 years. Mm. So it's... It, it meant a lot to me even at the time because of the pace that I was striking people out. Um, I think I had, I don't know, my innings pitched was in the nineties. So, you know, to have 110 strikeouts in 90 some innings pitched, I was, I was proud of that, but um, you know, it's, it is a single, single person's kind of record. So it's not, you know, it, it was just, it was nice to, to do my part on a, on some good teams, you know, and um, I always had the, the mantra, if I strike them out, I don't have to depend on anybody else to, to get the out. So, um, 
anytime I had a chance to go for it, you know, I, I would, I would go for that strikeout, but you know, sometimes it, sometimes it backfires on you too. <laughs> you know, guys aren't, guys aren't too happy when you're trying to strike a guy out and you end up walking him or hitting him or something, but um, it is what it is, I guess. But so, um, so I'm curious to ask you about this because it just popped into my head. So John's never actually played with metal bats before. So I, I don't know how much of that would make a difference because I, you know, I, there's nothing worse than being a pitcher and seeing a guy do a check string swing and then get that, you know, dying yeah. quail past the second base with his head. And that's there. So did that go in part of the makeup of trying to strike guys out? Because, you know, that happens so often and you're just like at least once or twice a game, you're like, Oh God damn it. I should have put that ball. <laughs> it's out of reach to get the swing. Head Cause you check swing and it's out in right field now. Yeah. Well, I mean, you kind of learn in baseball too, that things even out, you know, so those kind of, yeah, they get those little duck farts and, you, and it drives you crazy. But at the same time, sometimes a guy will hit an absolute missile, you know, and, and it'll go right to a guy or a guy to make a diving catch, you know, and take one away. So you, you kind of tell yourself that it evens out throughout the year. If you start, you start letting that creep in that, ah, oh, these guys are always getting these little, you know, hits off me, then that's what you're constantly thinking about. You know, and then it becomes, it literally becomes a thing and it has a mind, you know, a world of its own where if you get in your head, you know, we'll get it back, you know, or, you know, it'll make up for it, you know, something. It, you just got to try to stay positive on those kind of things. But yeah, it's, I will tell you this, I think it's harder to strike guys out when they're using metal bat stuff because they, they don't have that, that as much of a fear as that in, inside pitch because they know they can fight it off. Whereas you, you're thinking that I've got wood in my hand and if I, if I don't get the barrel inside and it gets on my hands at all, you know, it's splinters. So, um, which by the way, is probably more fun than striking a guy out. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's jamming him, you know, and breaking his bat. We, uh, I'll tell you a story about that. We, we traded this guy one time. This was an independent ball. We traded this guy. We played, he'd been on our team for a couple of years and, I'm not going to say any names, but anybody that played with me will probably know, but he was kind of a, a pompous ass, to be honest with you, you know, kind of a pretty boy, you know, worried about how he looked kind of, kind of guy. So, um, you know, for the guys who like to get dirty and, you know, like I, I had a thing, I didn't clean my cleats. That, that tells you like, I, I, nobody touched my cleats. If, if I came in and the, and the club, he cleaned my cleats, I'd throw them in the trash because you know i was superstitious that way but um so anyway we trade this guy right and we knew that he had these these they called them triple bit triple dip and they dip them and it would just make them really really hard so the fact that they were triple dipped you know he was kind of cheating a little bit um he cheated in a lot of ways but we won't get, get into that <laughs> but, um so the first game that we play against them, you know, we traded him to a team in the league. And so the first time we played against them, it, we're, we, we set out as the starting pitchers. We're like, we're, we're going after those bats. <laughs> so we ended up, I think we broke like five of his bats in three games. So <laughs> it was very gratifying. I got to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> was there any backlash from this player? Uh, after the fact, did he kind of take oh, issue no. or umbrage with it? Or? I'm sure he cried. I, I don't know. We never talked to him about it. But... <laughs> um, so, Christopher, I want to touch on more of your playing time shortly, but we should talk about your art for a bit as well. Um, for the time being, why don't you tell us first off how you got on with the October NLBM campaign that you came on with Tad and uh, the rest of the artists? how you got on there and uh, what you're working on now. So how I got involved with that, um, well, Tad actually reached out to me, um, right, Tad? He reached out to me on Instagram, I think. More than likely. Um, Tad can't remember because Tad reached out to a hundred different artists. So um, <laughs> yeah, he, he reached out to me and, I, and I, I think at the time when I first saw it, I was driving to Louisiana for a Hall of Fame thing. And so I didn't, I wasn't able to get back to him right away. So um, like a lot of time passed. And, and so then I actually called him up. I think it was getting really late. And I called him up and asked if I could still be involved in it. And of course he, he let me do it. So I was very grateful for that. Um, 
and, it, and I thought it went really well. I thought, you know, Tad <clears throat> obviously was the driving machine behind the whole thing and really getting people involved and uh, had a great, great idea with how to do things and um, how to get us, you know, to, to get money raised and, and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I thought it was an awesome thing. and It was really cool to be involved in. Excellent, man. And uh, what are you working on now? Well, I'm actually, I got two things going. I'm still finishing up a few of the uh, 2021 Hall of Fame, Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame uh, portraits. I got uh, two more of those to do. So I'm halfway through one of them. And then um, I'm actually, I decided to do this. It's, it's obviously a pretty good sized piece, but um, I just, I look, I got a pretty good sized building that my studio is in and I have some wall space and I got tired of looking at blank walls and so um, so I'm doing some big pieces for that and I think the next one I do is going to be like four times this size and I want it to cover one whole wall um, but I'm also doing a different style than what I normally do um, my sports art I don't think looks anything like this so um, this is all acrylic and it's uh, a little bit impressionist kind of thing but I, I don't know i <laughs> it's hard to say it's not really like anything else i've seen so um but it you know jesus is big in my life and so i'm it's obviously the first one i wanted to do and and uh make sure that that's the first space i see when i come into my studio so that's the plan i, I think i'm probably about 85 percent done with it that's awesome man um thank you now, you mentioned the Louisiana Sports Hall of Fame uh, portraits that you're working on for 2021. Any highlights for you? Um, for instance, are you working on any players or figures that mean a lot to you personally, uh, being that you obviously went to Northwestern State? Well, they're, I mean, they're, they're all important to me. So <laughs> just because, you know, I've been doing this since 2009. Um, every time they announce a class, it's like Christmas for me uh an induction class like I, I that's what i look forward to like it's super excited to see who's going in next um gosh we got we got backed up because of the covid thing so we haven't even had the 2020 ceremony um and here i am just about done with the 2021 portraits um so i've delivered the 2020s we're still going to have that ceremony and then we'll, later in the year we'll have the 21s um but uh do you remember R ricky wheats Ricky Weeks at all? Yep. Played for Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. So he. I'll just show it to you. I think I have a Ricky Weeks jersey in the shop right now. There you go. So that's that's Ricky Weeks Sports Hall of Fame portrait. Call that a sneak peek because uh, they're not released yet. You're not supposed to see them. But Sweet. Uh, may get some backlash for that. But. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Glenn Dorsey, Ricky Weeks, um, Marcus Colston, who played for the Saints, um, Abdul Raouf played for Denver and a few other people in the NBA. Yeah. Um, yeah, so done a lot of extra stuff too. I don't want to sit here and start pulling out a bunch of artwork, but um, I did pull, I've, I've done some big, big pieces for them, for them to sign that I'll put in my shows, you know, eventually too. Because um, the last show I did, you know, every, in my shows, everything is signed by the person that's in it. So the last show I did, I think the biggest piece was like 14, well, it was like 20 by 22, maybe. So you think that's a good size until you start to try to fill up a gallery and then you realize, man, that, those look pretty small on the wall. And so <laughs> now, like the smallest piece that I've done since then for, for the shows, something like, I don't know, maybe like 24 by 36. And that's the smallest one. And they've gone up, you know, from there. So I'm, I'm filling up some wall space, but there, there's some pretty cool ones too. Uh, Ronnie Coleman's a 2020 guy. He, I don't know if you guys are into bodybuilding. He was eight time Mr. Olympia, mm -hmm. um, eight in a row, in fact. And so um, he'll, he'll sign that. And then um, Nick Saban, you've probably heard of that guy. I think he's in it. He's a decent coach, I think. So. <laughs> okay, he's won a championship up to. 
Yeah, days. just the winningest coach of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned the delayed 2020 ceremony. What's the time frame at the moment? How is it looking for getting both of those in this year? Are you expecting that that will be done at the same time? Or are they going so, to still separate the ceremonies? The originally, yeah, so originally they decided they were going to do one early in the summer and then turn around and do another one at the end of the summer because we typically go in June and we, we do the one ceremony. And then, um, but because we have two to do, now they're going to try to do 2020 in June and push back 2021 to the end of the calendar year um, in December. So, um, of course, that could change, but um, I don't know. Hopefully, Louisiana follows Texas and what they did today with lifting the COVID protocols and opening things back up. If they open things back up, then obviously we can get the eight or 900 people in the, in the venue for the, the ceremony like we normally do. And, and that's always exciting. So. Right, um, now I just have a couple more questions that I want to ask about your playing days uh, and then we'll flip it to the guys because I feel like I'm monopolizing your time here um, and I'm sure that Jason will have some more questions and I would like to give Tad an opportunity to ask anything he wants to know. Um, the first question that I would like to ask is, uh, given that you were in the Cubs minor league system as a pitcher, um, who would you say is the most prominent or most notable uh, player that you either played alongside or against during that time? Um, I'd have to say probably Eric Hinsky. And he, he doesn't, I mean, he's not going to be a name that probably jumps out at everybody. He ended up being, he was an interesting story. He, on several, he was a guy that played at Arkansas before getting signed with the Cubs. Um, just a, just a beast of a guy. Um, on a couple occasions that season, he hit a couple, he had, uh, two home runs a game, like back-to-back home runs, and he could he could really hit. Well, the Cubs the Cubs didn't have him any higher than Double um, A, and then they lost they let him go in the Rule Five draft. The next year, I think who was it that picked him up? The Blue Jays, um, I think. Because Tor- yeah, won- sounds yeah Toronto. I think, picks he, him up. I think he won Rookie of the Year in Ro- Toronto. That Rookie of the Year. So we'll, we'll bash the Cubs a little bit and say, you know, obviously <laughs> you didn't have him in anywhere higher in double A and here he is the rookie of the year the next year. And so, but he, his career went on. I th- he was on several uh, world series champion teams. Um, you know, he, he was that guy that come off the bench and pinch hit or he, you know, those kind of things, but he, to be around that kind of, I mean, imagine the stories that guy has. You know, being all those different championship teams. I think he was with the Red Sox when they won it. And might even been with Chicago when they, you know, I think he may have even gone back. So, um, and I know he coached in the big leagues for a while after that. He may still be. I have to look it up. But, um, yeah, that was just a guy. Um, a guy named Wirtz pitched for the Oakland A's for a while in the big leagues. Um, I knew I knew that the organization liked him when when he was with us but i i didn't i didn't necessarily see the writing on the wall that he was going to be a big leader so it was kind of cool to see him see him make it um he did pretty well awesome man now the last question for me for now um is one that i would like to ask in in the context of the nlbmr community um and the work that we've all been done um since joining the project i've become quite interested in what the Negro Leagues mean to African-Americans growing up nowadays. Um, now, obviously, we're a couple of generations removed from the end of segregation in baseball. Um, and given that you played pro ball uh, for quite a while, um, I was wondering, how, what did the Negro Leagues mean to your African-American teammates? Um, is that something that they talked about? Or was it something that they, you know, may have not have been quite so sensitive to, given that, like, obviously, we grew up watching you know, black athletes as standards, as standard, and they weren't really necessarily viewed as a an abnormality that, as they would be kind of a generation before that. Um, that's a tough one. I think it was different for different guys, but um, you know, some guys would wear that on their sleeve pretty much at all times. You know, and it was it was that it was that me against the world kind of kind of thing and I don't, I don't think that was ever a bad thing you know mm. just used used it 
you know, to uh, propel themselves. I don't think it was a bad thing at all. It was definitely on the forefront of the conversation when we would have um, Negro League Day and we would actually put the uniforms on. Um, I think I wore the grays one time, um, which which was a blue top and blue pants. So it was kind of <laughs> I didn't like wearing blue pants, but uh, it was cool wearing the grays. Uh, I've still got pictures of me wearing that somewhere. Um, but it was really cool. And of course, obviously, when that when when you play that game and you have um, African-American teammates, then, you know, you want to talk about it. And so it's kind of cool, you know, sometimes to hear that. And of course, it's still it's still in that conversation, even when when they played and, and even now that there's not there's not enough um, black players. You know, there's still not enough. And then the question is raised, what do why is that and what's the difference and why are they choosing to go different route? Um, it may be in my mind, it may be that, um, the, the, the road to the big leagues is a lot longer and harder. Um, it's not one of those things where you typically you're drafted and, and boom, you're, you're in the league, you know, like NFL and NBA. I know NBA has the G league and those kind of things, but, um, baseball for most people, 99.99 have to really work their way all the way through the minor leagues. Um, countless guys, even like, like you remember Ron Guidry, Louisiana Lightning, Louisiana Lightning. The yeah. award winner. Okay. So he was, he was my pitching coach one year um, in Lafayette, Louisiana. Coolest thing ever. Um, but he, he gave us, we got a copy of his book. He actually wrote a book. So we're, you know, we're reading it as fast as we can. We're trying to, the guy's sitting literally in our dugout. So, um, but he, he almost quit in the minor leagues. I mean, and that, that tells you something. He literally got to in his car and started to drive home and then decided to turn around and go back. And then the rest was history. I mean, the guy was like 24 and I don't know, 24 and two or something crazy one year in the big leagues. So that's, that just puts a kind of, how hard it is to make it all the way through for, for most guys. Of course, now some guys literally put it in their, in their contract too, that they, they have to get a shot at the big leagues by a certain amount of time. Um, but that's pretty rare. Um, and then it's even more rare for anybody to go, you know, right out of high school. I don't know the last guy that's even, even done it. I know there was a Rangers pitcher way back when that could really, really bring it out of high school and he didn't last very long. Um, it's like such a huge jump. I mean, that's it's just crazy to imagine going from high school to the big leagues. So, yeah, that was David but, Clyde, and then and they brought him up because he was from Texas, and I think it was like he 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 finished his last high school game, and then two weeks later he was starting for the Rangers. Yeah, can you imagine? Can you imagine <laughs> that? I know that's a really really long answer to your question about that, um, but I guess to circle back, it's just. I think it's, it's still an ongoing thing. And I think it's, um, I wouldn't say it was one of those things they talked about a lot, but we talked about race a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And so it goes hand in hand, you know, um, if you're going to talk about race and you're on the baseball field, then why wouldn't you talk about the Negro leagues? And the discussion was always, you know, could those guys, if they were in the big leagues the whole time, would they have shattered those records? You know, and, and a lot of guys, you have to think that they would have, you know, I mean, mm. a lot of the hitting records, Satchel and a lot of the pitching records probably would have fell. You know, that poor guy didn't get a shot at the big leagues until he was, what, 40 something? So, 48, I believe. I think, yeah, 48 was like the oldest rookie. Isn't that crazy? So, you know, and that guy was, you know, from what everything you hear was just absolutely dominant. So there's just no telling. But, um, yeah, it's it's a conversation that was had. It was a conversation that continues to be had um, to this day. And, and obviously I think now you see it and maybe, maybe Tad was a big part of this, but now you see, it seems to be a really big conversation right now. And so uh, even more than it, there was a couple of years ago, for sure. So it's, it's, yeah. it's good that it's, it's being talked about again. I know with the Josh Gibson thing, and I hope that gets pushed through where the MVP, you know, gets named after him. That, that would be, that would be def definitely deserving and, and would continue that conversation in the right way. Every time they awarded, you know, that award every year, you know, yeah. then, then people are going to talk about it and they're going to talk about him and, 
and then the Negro leagues. And so it, it would be really helpful if that, if that goes through. And I think the, I think it should. Absolutely. Completely agree. Great answer, Chris. Um, I've taken up a bit too much of your time. I think I'm going to let Jason and Tad step in. Jason, first off, uh, do you have anything else you want to discuss? Yeah, I was let Tad go because we've talked to Chris before and he's a, Tad might have to like bail at some point and, and get paid to do some work. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, Tad, do you have anything you want to discuss with Chris? You know what? So there, I took all kinds of notes here as you were talking. There's all kinds of things I could comment on, but um, what I was just looking for, because I just wrote it down and I can't remember where it's actually posted out on social media now, but in the 10 years after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier uh something like seven of the next 10 rookies of the year including him were former negro leaguers and or maybe it was eight of the rookies of the year and seven mvps something like that those numbers inflated by one but that's the proof's in the pudding man yeah yeah if that doesn't tell you right there yeah yeah that's that's the best proof point of all and um you know, we all we all know, you know, like the how how littered the major leagues are with, you know, four A players, right? Um, the the you know after the the color barrier was broken, you know, those leagues thrived for you know another another few years, um, but were you know decimated by by uh, you know getting getting players plucked out and stuck on minor league teams and never really given their own chance either. So, you know, they that's that's where I think the true story of the Negro Leagues got kind or the 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 as good of as they were, I think that's where you know it got kind of tucked away to die. The lore and the legend is in the minor leagues. They they took them out of their own league and and um, you know with the promise of major leagues and, and they never still never got their chance. They were just getting paid to play somewhere else and, you know, more than likely line a white man's pocket. Um, so it's interesting. The, the more you dig into this whole story, it's interesting, but when it comes down just to, to, you know, were they legitimate? Hell yeah, they were legitimate. Look at, look at the major league numbers. Um, one thing I think Bob, Kendrick, I think, was the guy who said it before Hank passed away. He's like, who are the two greatest living baseball players of all time? Hank and Willie. Um, you know, who, who Willie is absolutely the greatest living ball player now. Who's who's next? I'm not sure, but it's you know, unfortunately not a Negro leader. Oh, interesting. So the, the uh, I'm big in the Project 70 and uh, one of the artists had done is Willie Mays card. And I was like, OK, that's great. We saw that Project 2020. This is probably say something different, but what it is is it's an homage to the Negro League players and passing the flame. So it was going to Willie, to Griffey, and now Griffey handed it off to Mookie Betts. And that's about yeah, that's about the best I can think of. That's, that's not a bad way of putting it. Well, you know, so I I had uh, the uh, like really the I, I it was so surreal I can't put it into words correctly to say that the, the honor is not doing it justice, but the honor of being on a call with uh, four former Negro leaguers um, on Saturday, along with the Buck Leonard Association and, and um, having the chance to, to talk with them was really, really cool. And we really just scratched the surface. It was um, um, kind of a, an organizational call and uh but, you know, just like you were coached by Guidry, you know, those guys were coached by, you know, the great Negro leaguers of the day, you know, um, and, and that's, that's why it's so important. I feel like the, the guys who are still alive today, save for Willie Mays, um, who else, if, you know, if I'm missing other prominent players that played in the Negro leagues, let me know. Um, I should know. Um but the guys who are living and there's at least, you know, 40 to 50 guys who played in the late, you know, uh, 50s, 60s or leading up to 1960, late 50s that, that are still alive and they've got great stories to tell. And so that was, it's, it's cool to see there was a, an unfortunate uh, event over the last week that um, we had to, to move the, the webinar 
um, that was scheduled, but um, but it will be rescheduled. It already is actually rescheduled, and uh, it's it's really cool to have the opportunity to engage with those guys while they're still here. And so that opportunity is coming back up. And it's <laughs> the best story that I heard on Saturday was um, from one of the guys, uh, Larry Legrand, who was talking about just recently, um, you know, within the last three or four months, at least, depending, um, we, we can look back and check the dates, but he said he got a call, thought that he heard it was you know, somebody that he, he knew. And so we replied back, you know, Hey buddy. And, and he's like, Hey, this, this isn't buddy. This is, this is Charlie, Charlie pride. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> and, uh, and then he's, I, I didn't quite recall if he said that he was Charlie pride's backup catcher or if, if I guess, yeah, Charlie pride was a pitcher, right. Or was he a catcher? Um, so anyway, one of the, they were teammates put it that way for the Memphis Red Sox. He said, um, so yeah, there's, and we, like I said, we just scratch the surface. Can't wait to do more of that. Yeah. That, that's awesome right there. Yeah. I suppose that leads us tad nicely on to um, NLBMR and the status of the project. Where are we at the moment with the, uh, what are the latest developments with NLBMR? Uh, where are we headed at the, at the time, at the time being? Well, do we need a special episode. Uh, do we need a special yeah. episode for any crazy announcements here? <laughs> I don't think we're quite ready for crazy announcements, but um, but we're we're definitely in teaser mode. I think in a couple of things, um, we're going to be so. <laughs> yeah, there's a big story here. There's background, but we're we're circling the, the wagons and and really starting to to create some some potential connections some absolute connections and some potential connections that that are are really going to be focused on building this this whole platform out as you know a piece of a bigger puzzle and the bigger puzzle really is the the families of the negro leagues um and you know the the i think i think the, the rest of the, the organizations and institutions of the Negro Leagues too, but, but starting with the families of the Negro Leagues who, um, who have an amazing opportunity. Actually, they don't have an opportunity. They, they've, they're already doing this. They have for you know, years been working in their communities and building trust in their communities and providing uh, uh, programs of support of all different kinds to their communities. And the one thing that they've done that's just, it, you, it's invaluable is build trust in their communities. Um, they have programs like STEAM programs and um, you know, um, science, technology, engineering, art, and math, right? They've got some programs in place and they're kind of fledgling. In some cases, they're, uh, they're, they're just um, piloting them. But what we are really starting to see is this, this bigger opportunity to create their brands um, and create the structure for that kind of programming that will really attract some you know, big time sponsors and big time resources. Um, because those big time tech resources have directives, not just initiatives, but actual directives to um, to reach into the communities that need help and help them, <laughs> providing um, you know, resources from money, to technology, uh, to you know, people to, to, to help them. So that's where the really big, big, big opportunity lies is, is if, if we can help and we're kind of, you know, this, this whole idea is kind of starting with the Buck Leonard Association, but if we can create the brand of Buck Leonard and help tell the story of the Negro Leagues at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also at the same time, um, you create and distribute curriculum into their community that will start to build a pipeline of qualified um, students for internships and for college and for jobs um, in those fields. That's the real, real big, big, big opportunity that puts goosebumps on my arm. Um, so we, um, I'm all in on, on uh, 
helping the Buck Leonard Association. They, they've got me, hook, line, and sinker. Um, and so we are really focused on, on building up that brand. What we're going to be doing is hosting a gala event. Um, I should, you know, it still feels really weird to say we, but um, <laughs> like I said, they got me. Um, uh, a gala event this fall, end of August, early September is what we're looking at right now. There will be a really, really big announcement about that, a really, really cool, cool announcement around that event. And um, a good friend of, um, of ours is, uh, has volunteered um, her services and technology to, uh, for a virtual event platform that's just super, super cool. Um, and, and that platform in and of itself and that gala event could potentially be, you know, a, a kind of an unveiling of some, some bigger things if we're able to put the right, um, the right things in place around their programs. If we can build out a little bit more structure to their programs and present it in a great way, then I think we've got an opportunity to go out and get some funding well in advance of this this gala event. So um, Chris, we're definitely going to need a, a big Buck Leonard um, uh, portrait to, for the, for an auction. Um, we're hoping to, to raise a lot of money. We don't, I don't, I don't yet know what a target is, but, uh, but I can tell you that the Buck Leonard association is, has the right person in charge and Rose Hunter, she thinks big. Um, and so yeah, that's that's the biggest news right now. I think is is what's on the the map on the calendar as as uh, um, something that's going to really engage the whole community again. Um, certainly, the the stuff going on with um, Josh Gibson. You know, we need to circle back with Sean, and mm -hmm. and uh, we're we're getting. Uh, there's actually a, a, I'll tease a little bit more and say that Eric Kittleberger is going to have another pretty cool piece. I, I would venture to guess pretty soon um, around the Josh Gibson MVP campaign. Um, you know, structure-wise of, of NLBMR, we're still operating in the grassroots mode, but um, on the calendar, um, actually to, by the end of tonight, at some point, I'll be sending out another um, note on a steering committee meeting um, to kind of set the course on a few different things. But um, a lot of different weird things have been falling into place in the last week. Pretty cool. <laughs> I think it's spring training. I think that's what it is. Everyone's on baseball mode again because I think everyone's maybe, in the, in the, yeah. in the upswing. Yeah. I've, got, I've got really contrarian thoughts about baseball if you want to go that far. I, I remember <laughs> man, I was sitting watching the, the one of the last few games I went to was an Everett Aquasox game and uh, it's a short season A ball um, and we were, it was, it was the, the whole sky was filled with smoke and they were watching the air quality. My buddy, I was there with, with my buddy whose sister worked there. And, and so we were getting these reports on air quality and it was just teetering on whether or not they would just have to end the game. And I just was sitting there going, how surreal is this? Like, we're just going to sit here and watch baseball while the world is burning around us. So <laughs> Baseball is a very sustainable, you know, uh, it's, it's a big consumption, um, you know, industry and, and it scares me for its future, but Hey, I'm training. <laughs> <laughs> I just have uh, one more question for Chris, uh, off the back of what we were talking about there, Chris, as a pitcher, if you could match up against any Negro league hitter from history, um, who would it be? Golly, uh, any hitter. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, probably going to have to go with this guy just because I have a signature. Is there any banks? There is it not close enough? Oh, that's Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill. Nice. Yeah. Only, only because I have his signature. <laughs> <laughs> it was the closest signature you had to the spot. So that was <laughs> um, golly, I mean, there's so many of them just because, I mean, as, as any pitcher would want to face the best, you know, and so, um, gosh, I mean, 
you you want to see if you can get it past Josh, right? You know, Gibson, you see if you yeah, I, I guess, you know. But I think you know what would be cool is just to to walk my my butt in the game and just to play in a Negro League game. How mm-hmm. how stinking unbelievable would that be? You know, you talk about old timers games, but to be in that situation pitching in, in one of those games would be would be just unreal. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, look, I, I've I've gone in the off season and and before and and pitched a game a couple games in Mexico and stuff like that. And it's and I and I'm from Nebraska and I've pitched you know all over the United States and it's just so different. There's there's a different. I mean, baseball is baseball. Don't get me wrong, but when you you know you're in a different situation, it's 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 like I don't know. It's like you're playing baseball on Mars sometimes because it's just, yeah, you're playing baseball, but everything around you is so different. Mm. You know, like you go to Mexico and they're calling balls and strikes in Spanish and you have to sit and think for a second. Like, <laughs> like I know that was a strike, but he didn't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I think that made arguing with all interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, as, as an American guy in Mexico playing, I didn't argue with anybody. <laughs> I wanted I wanted to make it back. <laughs> um guys, I don't have anything else at the moment for Chris. Uh, anything else from you, Jason? Yeah, I, I was gonna ask him. So uh being a pitcher, you had a lot of free time. I said you obviously did some art with your free time, but what was your other favorite pastime to do uh when you on the days off? Oh well, I mean everybody ever played we we were video game, you know, kind of generation so we, we obviously played a lot of video games um for me music I, I didn't play music but i listened to music like crazy you know and back then we didn't have everything on our phone or we didn't have ipods even at that time so you know you'd get on the bus and you'd you'd have your huge cd case you know yeah. <laughs> and you and you'd have your little box of batteries because you were about to go on a 12-hour bus trip and didn't want your batteries to die but, um <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I just had a huge music collection, and so I was I was big into that. I think it just helped pass that time too. But you know that, and you know, playing pranks on each other—that's mm. you know, baseball guys. That's what you do. So that yeah, usually didn't stop. You know, it didn't stop when you left the field because you were always around each other. So. <laughs> you got Any memorable pranks? Prank? Yeah, uh, you brought pranks now. Way to hear a favorite prank. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, well, all right, we. Uh, I don't know if I told you guys this one before. Or not. We had one year we had a sleeper bus, right? So it was it was kind of like a casino bus. It had it, it was like a regular bus up front, pretty much, but but it had the seats like a like a Winnebago kind of thing. But in the middle, it had eighteen bunks, you know, beds, and then in the back was literally like the party room, right? And so. Um, yeah, some guys just stayed in the back the whole time. <laughs> Different stories. <laughs> um, our center fielder, Evan Cherry, um, decided he was going to go to bed early, right? And so he's in his bunk, and we had an endless supply of athletic tape. And so we literally started stringing athletic tape. We taped him in, into his bunk, right? <laughs> and, so, and so none of the air none of the air conditioning could get in there. And so the next thing, you know, he wakes up and he's just sweating, you know, bullets. <laughs> he punches his way through the, the tape and he starts looking to hit guys. <laughs> uh, so, so That's a classic. The, the, the question that you teed up for, for everybody was uh, what was your best, what was your best hype song? Yeah. What was your uh, job on the road? Like what, 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 what did you, what did you listen to to get fired up? Well, I mean, I, my last three years of pitching, I came out to enter Sandman, uh, you know, owed to Trevor Hoffman, but uh, <laughs> that's what I came out to. But so big Metallica fan, but metal kind of gets me going, you know, Pantera, you know, yep. Cowboys, Cowboys from hell, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but Metallica was it when it, you know, you get me going. So. <laughs> you know, probably I'm still guessing is. you stayed away from Walk by Pantera. Oh, that's that's yeah, that's a good one right there. Yeah, great song, but a bad omen for a picture, I think. Well, yeah, but 
probably just because you're going to get so fired up, you're not going to hit the strike zone for about <laughs> four batters. But <laughs> true, true. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, what say we call it a night? Um, thank you so very much, Chris, for joining us again um, and managing. We managed to get through the whole thing this time without yeah. falling off. Uh, before we head off, would you like to plug your website and social media? Sure. It's, uh, it's chrisbrownsportsart.net. Um, Instagram, same thing, Chris Brown Sports Art. So just start Googling Chris Brown Sports Art and you can kind of see what everything I'm on. But uh, yeah, Tad, let me know what you need going forward, man. And I'm, I'm game. So yep, yep. definitely want to be involved. Find your favorite Buck Leonard image. You betcha. I'm ready to start looking. <laughs> Brilliant talking to you again, Chris. Uh, Jason, we should probably plug our podcast. It will be coming back soon. Um, check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, Facebook.com slash Caps and Pipes for Facebook. It's Ball Caps and Bagpipes on YouTube and at Caps and Pipes on Twitter. I believe the Instagram is at Ball Caps and Bagpipes. Ball caps and bagpipes. Yes, yeah, we, yeah, we're, we're, pretty, much, we're pretty much everywhere. Uh, Tad <laughs> at NLBMR on Twitter and NLBMR.com for the project. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, I'd say uh, follow us along on Instagram. It's still all me right now managing all this shit, so I can't really get to it. <laughs> Is the Instagram just the same handle? At, at uh, NLBMR. Yeah, stay tuned. Perfect, yeah. I mean, nice teasies there. Hopefully we'll have some bigger news to come in the coming weeks. Um, on that note, we will call it a night. Hey, great seeing you all. Hey, great to you see too, you, man. Chris. It's always a pleasure. All Thanks, right, man. many blessings. Bye, everyone. Thanks for watching.